fire, okay? Well, folks, let's take the first 10 minutes or so and refresh our memories. Let's kind of re-examine our foundation so we can build on it some more tonight. If you want to turn in your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 1, you'll be all set to go. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, we started looking very intimately at verse number 5. We looked at verse number 5 because it's kind of a crucial verse in the whole chapter. And in that verse, if you remember, we established the fact that you, as a Christian, are gifted. You've got the gift of grace. You've got the gift of peace. You've got the gift of knowledge. You've got the gift of life and godliness. You've got the gift of a divine, godlike nature. And so because of that, you are gifted. And he doesn't even touch eternal life. That's the icing on the cake. We're talking right now, as you take that next breath, you are gifted. And because you are gifted, God has commanded you through Peter to be a choir leader. I say choir leader because of the word add in verse number five, where it says there, and beside this, because you are gifted, giving all diligence, eagerness, add to your faith. And so God has called all of us to be choir leaders. You're not the choir leader in your husband's life. You're not the choir leader in your children's life. It is something that you do all by yourself. Do you have the talent to do it? According to verses one through four, you are gifted. Yes, you do. So we started looking and what Peter does to us is starting there in verse number five, he gives us what I call seven melodies. I hope you're okay with that. The, the term melody is not inspired, but I'm borrowing that term because of the word add. And Peter is giving us seven melodies that are what we call in theology sequential, which means it all starts, the foundation, the, the bass drum, if you will, of your faith is that, that melody called virtue. And then you add to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and you'll be in authority on all of that by the end of tomorrow night. But then he goes on and says, if you remember, and we did this last night, we also looked at what Peter himself says about these seven melodies. And so we started reading last night in verse 8, where over and over again, Peter says that you're to add these things, and if you do, they'll make you that you won't be unfruitful or barren. Remember the word barren means to, be un, to, to act and look unsaved. People, I would just absolutely preach as hard as I can that it is possible for you to get to the point in your Christianity where you're no more good for God than somebody unsaved. If you're not bearing fruit, you're no good to him. That doesn't mean you lose your salvation. That can't happen. If you could lose your salvation, if I could lose my salvation, I would have lost it. You cannot lose your salvation. That's, so that's not what we're saying. But what we are saying is that I can get to the point and you can get to the point in your Christianity where you're no more good for God than somebody unsaved. That's what that word barren in verse number 8 means. You and I can get to that point. And may I remind you that verses 8, this whole chapter, is written to Christians, not the unsaved. So we're to add those seven melodies so that I can be fruitful and I can be useful to God and I will abound. The Bible says I, I'm to abound in these things. That word abound there that you read there in verse number eight means to have more than is necessary. It literally means people to overflow. It is God's desire, Christian, that you overflow virtue. You overflow knowledge. You overflow temperance. You overflow these seven melodies. It ought to be your life's goal. Well, then, remember what we did? I then had some fun with you, and I said, whenever I come over to this area now, from now on, I'd like this area here to represent you and me before we were saved. May I remind you, Ephesians 4 very clearly says that before you were saved, before I was saved, we were blind, we were ignorant, we were aliens, and our understanding was darkened. We just didn't get it. 
We just didn't understand. No matter every, everything we thought about spiritually was absolutely useless. We just didn't understand. And somehow, someway, I hope that in your life, God somehow got through that darkness. God, God got through that ignorance. God got through that blindness and opened your eyes. And you saw your need of a Savior. You saw your need of being forgiven of your sins. You saw your need that you realized that you could not earn your way to heaven. Nothing you did could earn your way to heaven. It was only through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You saw that because of the Holy Spirit. And you asked Jesus Christ to save you. And remember, from that moment on, from that moment on, we are to add to our faith in every area of our life, folks. Virtue is to be in every area of your life, not just church. And so we establish the fact that when my hand touched these, these individuals, you're going to say with your nice, golden, Purdue-loving voices, you're going to say virtue and knowledge and temperance. So if I could get my models up here, please. Jake, you're included in that. Thank you, Jake, for volunteering. And uh, I got, got Hudson, and I got Josiah up here. And Josiah, be ready to give me number four, okay? I, I, I bet you already have somebody picked out, don't you? So uh, and I, got, I got chairs. I got... <laughs> okay, um, would, would all of you say, Hudson, I like your legs. <laughs> all right, you can stand on the first step if you would please, gentlemen. Okay, yeah, that's it. All, all three of you, Let, let's stand. Okay, now congregation, let's review, okay? Here I am, I'm you, boop, I'm saved. I got saved, I now have enlightenment, I now have understanding, I got a new nature, I've got a divine nature, and from that moment on, in area of my life, I'm going to add to my faith... Very good. And what does it mean, virtue? What does virtue mean? To make up your mind, to be tough. In fact, people, the Greek word is arete. Arete, one of the definitions of arete is manliness. Be tough. Time out. I have found, Heather, that in a lot of churches, the women are tougher than the men. I'll never forget doing a revival in Charleston a couple years ago. And the piano player of the church came every night wearing a surgical mask. This is before COVID. She came every night wearing a mask because she had the flu so badly, but she wanted to be here and she didn't want to spread it. That is so womanlike. Women can be so tough, so strong. You're such an example. Men, <laughs> I'm so guilty. <coughs> I'm dying. I'm dying. Feed me grapes. Women can be so tough. But... The true definition of the word manliness, when you tell somebody to be a man, be manlike, and ladies, God's calling you to be manlike, to be tough when it comes to your faith. And that's what that word virtue means. The, the root of rete is also translated manliness. So we make up our minds we're going to be tough no matter what it costs us because we love the Lord Jesus Christ, because he died for us, because we now have the relationship. We make up our mind just like young Daniel who was in junior high who purposed in his heart. This is the most important ingredient, folks, and I cannot say this strongly enough. This is by far the most important ingredient of your faith. Because if you don't have virtue, if you don't make up your mind, the Bible does you no good. The Bible is useless until you make up your mind, I'm going to live it, and then and only then are you ready to go and find out what God wants you to do. So let's do it again. Boop! I get saved. We add to our faith. Virtue. We add to virtue. Knowledge. Remember what he means? Knowledge is what you know about the Bible. What ought your attitude to be? It ought to be just like Paul's who said, I'm not there yet. 
in his 60s. I'm not there yet. I'm still hungry. I want to know more. Then it comes right after, folks, that, that metaphor, that athletic metaphor comes right after that very well-known verse, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to his image. Folks, that comes right before that idea of having knowledge. And so knowledge is all about you getting into the Bible, having an attitude where I just want more. I'm not satisfied with what I know. There's always, as G. Campbell Morgan once said, there's always an element of divine dissatisfaction in the heart of a growing Christian. Every one of you ought to have divine dissatisfaction. I want to know it better. This will shock you. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that your pastor should know more about the Bible than you. Are you aware of that? Now, you want him to know a lot about the Bible. That's a given. But you need to know a lot about the Bible, too. That's knowledge. Stay hungry. Even though you're a college graduate, even though you teach at Sunday school, even though you're a deacon, stay hungry. Well, remember what we said last night? There's stuff in the Bible that your flesh is going to go, yuck. No, I want to do that. I like that music. I like those pictures. I like that attitude. I like those cuss words. I like those websites. I, no, I don't want to do that. And so we have to. Remember what I talked about with the little blonde that came and kind of lost it? And we said, get a grip. Well, folks, back at you. That's so you. Peter's at you saying, Christian, now that you know the Bible, if you're going to obey it, get a grip. Christian, get a grip. What are you getting a grip on? You're getting a grip on your lust. You're getting a grip on your greed. You're getting a grip on your flesh. You become murderers where we crucify the flesh. We crucify it. Well, friends, so we call that, when I start doing that, we call that temperance. Remember, temperance means get a grip. So here I am. Let's do it together. Ready? Boop! I'm saved. I add to my faith. Virtue. Make up your mind. I add to virtue. Knowledge. There's stuff in there. Your flesh is going to go, no. So we add to, we add to knowledge. Get a grip, get a grip. Okay, so now having said that, who should I get, Josiah, for melody number four? Help him out, Jake, would you? Who should I get? Oh, man, uh, Earl. Earl, okay. I thought that would happen. I, I warned him. When he came in with that good-looking navy blazer, I thought, you, you're going to get picked. And, 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 <laughs> Got to get a suit coat that, that's it. Yeah, that's right. All right, so Brother Earl, if you would stand there. Earl has been such a personal blessing to me this week. He has done all kinds of stuff for me, including picking me up at the airport and taking me to it on Thursday. But I would like Earl to represent a melody that you guys can sit down. All four of you can sit down, as a matter of fact. I have a friend. <laughs> I know that shocks you. Um, I have a friend who used to be the manager of a health club in Los Angeles. He said, Mike, there's a phenomena that I think you will uh, appreciate that happens in Los Angeles. He said, every year around the end of November and all of December, there's a huge influx of young soccer moms coming into health clubs buying a membership. The reason they're doing that is because they know they, they set up a personal goal that would be virtue. Make, they make up their mind this next year. I'm going to lose 25 pounds. They're, they're resolving. It's a, it's a good thing. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not preaching against that at all. And they, but they make up their minds, I'm going to lose weight. Well, they get a little knowledge. They get a little knowledge. And they realize that 
exercise. You know, you're going to have to do more than just walk if you're going to lose that much weight. You need some good, strenuous cardiovascular exercise. Well, ladies, I'm sure you know, all of you probably know, that for a woman, especially a young woman, to exercise outside, it can be dangerous. And there are a lot of areas in Los Angeles where I would never let my wife walk down the sidewalk alone. And so these soccer moms in Los Angeles, they know that. They read it, they see the news, and so they buy memberships in health clubs where they're safe. And so he said they, they buy these $500, $600, six-month memberships. And, and on January 2nd, you know, they make their New Year's resolution. And on January 1st, when their membership star, starts, nobody works out on New Year's Day. You watch football and, and eat popcorn. But on January 2nd, here's what happens. That little soccer mom, her alarm clock goes off at 5 a.m. She gets up before the family. She hops into her SUV. She goes down to the local health club where she has just bought a membership. She gets in there with her coach, and she's got a little pink jogging suit on, and she's ready to really go after this. And she gets on one of those, those exercise machines. You know, maybe it's a, a, a Stairmaster, or maybe it's a Nautilus machine, or a treadmill, you know, whatever. And she's on that, she's on that strenuous exercise, and something starts to happen that disgusts her. She starts to sweat. And so she's working out, and she wants to get a good 45-minute workout, you know, so she's working away. Sweat's coming out there, and she's thinking in her little soccer mom heart, this is no fun, but I want to lose the weight. I want to lose the weight. Well, she does her workout. She goes home January 3rd, 5 in the morning. Alarm clock goes off. There she is. <laughs> Happens again. It's starting to pour. I don't like this. I really don't like this, but I want to lose the weight. Well, January 4th, there she is. January 5th, there she is. Well, that, you know what, folks? That, that, that health club manager told me, you know how long the typical membership of a soccer mom lasts in, in Los Angeles? Three weeks. Three weeks. And she quits. She quits. Folks, what a picture of you. What a picture of me. We make up our minds. I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to serve the Lord. I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. I'm going to read through the Bible twice in a year. Or like a good friend of mine did one time, I'm going to read through the Bible once a month. Takes a couple hours a day, retirees, but you could do it, and you won't be sorry. But they make up their mind, I'm going to memorize, I'm going to give out a track a day. They make up their mind, I'm going to do right, and, and, and they, they, they get some knowledge of what God wants them to do, and, and they start doing it, they discipline themselves, and they're out there doing that thing, and then about three weeks into it, they quit. So you know what melody number four is, folks? Melody number four, your King James Bible uses the word patience. But that's an old Elizabethan language use of that word. The word really means endurance. But we'll use patience. We'll stay with the King James. It, it means to don't quit. Don't quit. And ladies and gentlemen, can I preach at you tonight? It is ungodly to quit. Don't quit. Some of you, I think, if you're not, if you're not careful, you're going to be guilty of doing this. Where you're kind of like thinking, well, I used to teach a class and I used to, I led somebody to the Lord 10 years ago and the Lord must be happy with me. No, don't quit. You're still in the race, retirees. There's still work to be done. Don't quit. Don't quit, folks. Keep on keeping on, as one great evangelist used to say of yesteryear. Don't quit. It's ungodly to quit. So, gentlemen, let's stand. Okay, let's stand. All right, so here I am. I'm you. I get saved, boop, and from that moment on, in every area of my life, I'm to add to my faith. You make up your mind. That was kind of weak, congregation. Let's wake up, okay? I add to my faith. Very good. Make up your mind. I add to virtue. Stay hungry. 
There's stuff in there your flesh is going to go, no! So you add to knowledge, get a grip. You're going to want to quit, so you add to temperance. Okay, so do you see Do you see how the flow is there that the Holy Spirit of God's given us? So we make up our mind, we go to the manual, we find out what we want to do, or we get control of the flesh, and we don't quit. Friends, some of you need to get back into the grind, get back on the track, get back in the game, get back into the Word of God, memorizing it like you once did. You need to be praying, Lord, as David did, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Folks, never lose that joy. Stay in your Bible. Stay consistent. Stay faithful in your church and, and take opportunities to serve and give out tracts. That's what the Lord wants. Don't quit. I know some of you have done that because maybe somebody laughed at you or you had a little persecution or, or you're afraid of what somebody will think of you. Come on, get back in the game. That's what the Lord wants. All right? So, Earl, who should I get for Melly number five? Okay, all right, and you guys can sit down. Sam Jones, Brother Sam. All right, Brother Sam, I want you to stand over here, would you please? You can stand on that step if you would, please. And um, thank you for doing this, Sam. I appreciate it. I've put some distance between melody number five. Stop it. I've put some distance between melody number four and melody number five. Let me tell you why. Whether or not this stuff right here is going on in your life, the rest of us, for the most part, don't know. In fact, let me scare you with something. You're not positive that stuff right there is even going on in your leadership's lives, your deacons or your pastor. I uh, was, was sharing with somebody today that I know a pastor in Connecticut that pastored there for years, and it was found out that for 14 years he'd been taking the deacon's fund and buying male prostitutes not far from the church preaching great messages, even preached at Pensacola Christian College. For all, for all looks, he looked just right with the Lord. But, but really what was happening was that stuff was not going on. Folks, I have no idea whether or not your pastor has no idea whether or not that's going on in your life. It's kind of personal. Oh, your wife might have a good idea. Your children might have a good idea. Your parents might have a good idea. But for the most part, the rest of us, we don't, we don't, we don't know if this is going on at all. That guy right there, this guy right here, is the first outward indicator to the rest of us that that stuff is going on. And he will be a natural result. He will be a natural byproduct. That melody will be a natural byproduct of those, those four melodies here. But you may see people that look like they have that melody. But if that's not going on, they are what the Bible calls hypocrites. Hypocrites. All a hypocrite is, is somebody who's got this melody going on loudly and clearly, but that's not going on there at all. This can be fake. This can be unreal. Your King James Bible calls him godliness. What a fascinating word, godliness. It's the Greek word eusubia, kind of a complicated word. You can have a seat there, thank you. Let me tell you what it means. It's got several meanings, but they, uh, they all come into play. One of the meanings that it has is that children look like their fathers. Children look like their parents. Offspring look like their parents. That's kind of one of the meanings of, of that word. And may I remind you tonight, friends, that if you are saved, 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 12 says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. That word little children there simply means offspring. 
If you're saved here tonight, you are God's offspring. You are God's offspring if you're saved. You're his offspring. You're his prince. You're his princes. You are his offspring, his children. And when we talk about this word, there ought to be something about you, my friend, that looks like your father. There ought to be something about you that looks like God. Well, may I remind you tonight, and I know I don't, but I'm going to, may I remind you that God is not confined to flesh and blood like you and me. They that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God is a spirit. He's not confined to a body like you and me. So how in the world do you look like God? That word there, godliness, means that you look like God. How do you do that? You look like God, people, in the way you live. It's talking about your testimony, what people see, their actions, the words, your thoughts. It's all about looking like God. And so, friends, may I ask you, on the inside, your testimony, are you godly? Do you look right? That's what it's talking about. Do you look right? This is going to be the first outward manifestation that that stuff's going on. But my friend, if this stuff right here is going on in your life, it's, you know, that's naturally going to show itself. You can't help it. But let me tell you what's going on in your society, Americans. If you're godly, you are going to have standards. If you read the Bible, I mean, you read it closely and you study it, you're going to realize that you're going to need to say no to alcohol. You're going to need to say no to rock and roll. You're going to need to say no to the wrong kinds of websites. You're going to need to say no to the wrong kinds of language. It's going to affect the way you live, ladies and gentlemen. That's godliness. Your life ought to be godly. You ought to be a godly lady, a godly woman. But let me tell you what's happened with this Facebook culture. If you've got standards in your life, there are other snot-nosed, bratty Christians out there that are so immature that are going to look at your church, they're going to look at your life and say, ah, look at them. They are a legalist. A legalist. Have you ever been called that before? I have been called that over and over and over again, especially by the Facebook crowd. All because I've got standards. Could I help you with that tonight? Because I realize that some of you might be victims of that, and I promise you, your church is. You may not know it at all, but I promise you, there are people out there that look at, where am I? Berean Baptist Church. They look at Berean and they go, oh, that's a church of legalists. Yeah, they're just, yeah, they, 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 they wear ties and they blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Let me help you with something tonight, friends. Could I show you, could I tell you tonight what legalism is? Legalism is me earning favor with God through pride. Let me illustrate. I can look. Look who's a good victim here. I could look at this gentleman right here. Nice white hair. Just, just gorgeous. And I could look at him and I could say, in my heart, it doesn't even have to be out loud, but usually it is with the legalists because they're kind of proud. They like to let you know. But I can look at him and I could say, in my heart, God likes me better. God likes me better than him. I'm better. I, I'm, I'm way better. You know why? I don't have hair. He does. <laughs> I know. Some of you are thinking like, What? Well, let me help you tonight, church. I'm going to throw some really good theology at you. David, in the book of Psalms, says, Mine iniquities are as the number of hairs of my head. Which one of us is in better shape? 
Okay, you see what I did there? That, that's good theology, amen? Yeah, that's really, that's really good. Well, folks, that, see, that, that, that's what a legalist does. A legalist kind of, well, we, we got freedom and we don't have to, well, I'm, I'm above that. Or you, guys, you, guys, you guys are legalists because you have these rules and you think you're better than I am. No! That's not what's going on at all. Folks, we've got rules, we've got standards, because we go to that book right there, and that book has standards. That book has rules. That book has guidelines. And if we're going to honor that book, and we want to, if we're right with God, we're going to have some standards. Could I get an amen? We're going to have standards. When I have standards in my life, the Bible calls it godliness. So, folks, those people out there that are calling you legalists, what they really mean is you're kind of godly. You know, you're saying, Mike, because we wear a tie, we're godly. Well, no, not exactly. But there are, it do, a tie does show an attitude. What you wear does show an attitude. And we want our attitude to conform to the Bible, don't we? And I'll leave that between you and the Lord. But we want to come with the right attitude. And, and, and the way that we dress always affects our attitude. Always, folks. That's proven. Even the unsaved world understand. That's why, that's why on Saturday when I flew up here on Delta Airlines, my pilot wasn't wearing cutoffs. He was wearing a uniform. They find that we work better in uniform. Dress always affects the way we work. The least productive day of the work week is Friday, dress down day. It affects. So am, am I saying that? I'm getting myself in trouble, aren't I? All I'm saying is this. We follow the Bible. We follow the Bible. That's, that's why you don't see a drum set up here. Amen? You, 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 and some of you crybabies are probably trying to push for that. Please, please shut up. So, so we, we call this godliness. Now, friends, please understand that the Bible tells you about that melody. Bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable for all things. God is looking for godly Christians where you've got standards based on the word of God. It affects your conduct. It affects your thought life. It affects the way you talk. It affects what you watch. It affects what you listen to all because of that book right there. Okay, you with me? All right, so let's stand, folks. Let's stand. So here I am. I'm you. I get saved. Boop! I'm no longer blind. I'm no longer ignorant. My understanding's no longer darkened. I'm no longer an alien. I'm a citizen of heaven. Remember Sunday morning? I'm a citizen of heaven. Because of that, I now want to please God. And in order to do that, the very first thing you have to do in every area of your life, whether it's your marriage, your job, your devotions, whether your entertainment, whatever, I add to my faith, make up your mind. It all starts there. Make up your mind. It all begins there. That is by far of all the melodies. Remember, they're sequential. So if you don't have this guy here, this is useless, 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 useless. So we all start here by making up my mind, purposing in my heart. Let this mind be in me, which is also in Christ Jesus, that will be, keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, and be renewed in the attitude, spirit of your mind. Oh, the Bible talks over and over again about your mind. Folks, it's the most, protect, most precious, precious thing you've got. That's why in Proverbs, I love to preach this to young people, that says, keep thy heart with all diligence. Keep, that word keep means to protect. Protect. That's what he's all about. We, we, we protect. We want to make sure that we're, we've got the right kind of mind. Protect your, keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. You know that word issues? It means fountains. Literally in the Hebrew, it means fountains. You ever seen a nice fountain? 
They're kind of fun to see. You know, I, let me go down a rabbit trail just for a moment. I often get invited to preach for junior senior banquets. And I did a junior-senior banquet a while ago. They rented out the top story of a skyscraper in Winston-Salem. And uh, for the, I, I'd never seen this before or since, but they brought out an hors d'oeuvre table. It was a large Christian school. They brought out an hors d'oeuvre table, and they had a chocolate fountain where you could dip your broccoli, your carrots. Man, if they, I'd eat vegetables if we could do that all the time. But... Uh, <laughs> But what, what was so nice about this is they had a chocolate fountain on one side, and on the other end of the long table was a white chocolate fountain. Yeah. <laughs> Love fountains like that. I was so tempted to just lean down and <laughs> like a drinking fountain. But friends, I think all of us have seen things like uh, America's Funniest Home Videos. Those, those are fun to watch. And haven't we all seen some grandpa somewhere that's holding a, a just-been-born grandkid, and the grandpa takes that little kid, oh, you're so cute, I'm so glad you look like grandpa, and all of a sudden, that little baby becomes a fountain. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so gross. It's so gross. Well, friends, you know what? Thank you for laughing, but what, what a picture of him. What a picture of virtue. You see, when, you're, when you've got the right kind of heart, Oh, what a glorious fountain you are. This kind of stuff right here comes shooting out. And oh, what a blessing you are. And what great use God has for you. But I've met a whole lot of Christians who have kind of a herpy fountain because they haven't protected their virtue. Folks, protect your mind. Watch your thought life. Watch your attitude. It all starts right there. So I add to my faith virtue. You've already said that. We make up our mind. Now, I made up my mind. I'm going to please God. I Now I'm ready to go to the manual. We call that knowledge. knowledge. Stay hungry. None of you are there yet. Stay hungry. Keep growing. Keep memorizing. Keep learning. Well, there's stuff in there that your body, your flesh is going to go, no, I don't want to do that. So we add to knowledge. Temperance. My least favorite of all the melodies. My least favorite. You know why? My body wants to have victory. I got this constant fight, and so do you. Let me describe it for you in Bible terms. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. I am looking at a bunch of people who are bipolar. You got your flesh pulling on you. You got the spirit of God pulling on you. And like one great Indian chief in New England said to David Brainerd, who led him to the Lord, he led the entire tribe to the Lord, did David Brainerd. This Indian chief was learning this principle. David was teaching it to that tribe about the put-off, put-on principle there in in Ephesians 4. And and the Indian, Indian chief came to Brother Brainerd later and said, Mr. Brainerd, I think I understand. What you're telling me is I've got a black dog and a white dog in me. The black dog hates the white dog. The white dog hates the black dog. They're constantly fighting. And whichever dog I feed wins the fight. Folks, that's so true. And that's what this guy right here is all about. I feed the white dog, but the black dog wants to be fed too. Therein is your problem, my problem. And folks, this never ends. I thought by the time that I became 67 years old, now I know I look like I'm 27, but by the time I was 67, I thought this thing would be a whole lot easier, and it ain't. What a fight. And St. Francis, it's all about this guy right here. It is so crucial. 
Paul told a young man in the ministry, Timothy, you can't be godly without this right here called discipline or temperance. You're going to want to quit. This guy is so very hard. I would imagine that this is probably the breakdown for most of you here tonight. Just disciplining yourself to spend time in the Bible, spend time memorizing the Word of God, saying no to the right stuff and saying yes to the right stuff. What a fight. You're going to want to quit. God knew that. You're going to want to quit. So one of the godly, in fact, it's even a fruit of the Spirit, that one of the, every godly Christian ought to have this melody going on loudly and clearly. And what's that melody called? Patience. Patience. Lord, help me not to quit. Help me not to quit. May I remind you tonight, church, that one of the greatest parables Jesus told was the parable of the sower. And the Bible says that there was a seed that fell on good ground. And that seed had fruit, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold, and it, and it bore fruit. And I don't know if you remember this, but there are two more words after that. With patience. With patience. The Word of God always endeavors, folks, to let you become a... In fact, the Bible even uses the, uh, the, the illustration, the, the picture, if you will, of a marathoner. Of a marathoner. Have you ever come close to running a marathon? I've run two. I ran one when I was about 34 years old up in Vermont. And then when I was about to turn 60, I started telling churches when I was 59 that I was going to run a marathon when I turned 60. One week to the day after I turned 60, I ran the Charleston Marathon. Stayed, stayed at Northside. But, but anyway, uh, I, I ran the Charleston Marathon one week to the day after I turned 60. 26.2 miles. The first thing I said to my little wife when I got across the finish line was, Lori... Never again. <laughs> Just about killed me. I, I tripped and fell at the 24-mile mark, and this cute little thing came and helped me up, and she continued on her way, and I kind of waddled and struggled to the finish line. It was rough. And people, isn't it interesting to us that that's the very picture that God chose to describe you as a Christian? It's a marathon. You're going to get punched. You're going to get persecuted. There are going to be people to make fun of you. Don't quit. It's ungodly to quit. Go to the finish line. Fight the good fight. Well done, thou good and faithful marathoner. Don't quit. And that's what he's all about here because he's so hard. He's so hard. But don't quit. Keep on. Keep on keeping on. Well, I'm gonna, if I've got those four things going on there, then I'm also going to add godliness. I want to look like you. I want my life to represent you. I want, I want people, and you realize, folks, that your life, Right here in Indiana, your life may be the only gospel that some people will ever see. You want to look like your father. And friends, may I remind you tonight that if you're really saved, you want to look like him. You're his child. You're his offspring. He has blessed you so much. He has gifted you. You want to look like him. All right. So one more time all together. I'll go real fast. Okay. And then we'll have a word of prayer and get out of here. Okay. Here we are. Boom. I'm you. I'm no longer darkened. I, I get it. I understand. I got wisdom from on high. I've got enlightenment. Woohoo! I win. You win. And from that moment on, in every area of your life, I'm going to add to my faith. Virtue. Make up your mind. Add to faith, virtue. Knowledge. Stay hungry. Add to knowledge. Mm, get a grip. I, I want to quit, so I add. Mm, don't quit. And then I add to patience. God, I want to look like you. And friends, when that stuff's going on, you will naturally start to look like him. Amen? Amen. All right, gentlemen, I'm done with you for tonight. Make sure you're back tomorrow night. And, uh, and uh, Hudson, thank you for showing off your legs. We appreciate you here tonight. And uh, thank you, gentlemen, for your help. Let's bow our heads, could we please, and close our eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, what a rich, 
rich and practical passage for us tonight, for last night, for Sunday night, for tomorrow night. God, I pray, Lord, I, I pray, I plead that there would be Christians here that from now on, whenever they come to 2 Peter chapter 1, it will never be the same to them. Lord, they've got such a rich, richer understanding of what's there. But Lord, it doesn't do us any good to know if we don't live it, we don't apply it. Lord, you told the believers at Berea that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word. Lord, that word receive doesn't mean to just hear it and to know it. It means to live it. And God, I pray that there be all kinds of believers, even here tonight, that are making up their mind, I'm going to live this. This is going to have an effect on the way I live. God, I pray that you'd use your word mightily. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I, I want to ask you tonight, Christian.